Welcome to the Mental Health and You podcast. This podcast brings you information and advice from across the Norfolk and Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, with a range of teams, services and those who use them, sharing their experiences and wisdom with us every fortnight. Hello, my name is Donna Ireland and I will be hosting today's podcast called A Day in the Life of a Research Nurse. Joining me to answer all the questions are senior research nurses Zoe Inman and Claire Rishmiller. Over to you Zoe and Claire to introduce yourselves. Hi Donna, I'm Zoe and I'm a registered mental health nurse and I've been working in the research department for 10 years. Hi Zoe, hi Donna, I'm Claire. I'm also a registered mental health nurse and I've been working in the research team for over six years now. Excellent, thank you both. So, what interested both of you to work in research? So, um, I've always been interested in research within healthcare. Um, and when I returned to nursing after a 10 year break, I was then fortunate to be able to spend time with a research nurse. Um, it was such a privilege to spend time with the participants in a study. Um, they were giving up their time to talk about their experiences, share information about their lives, and it was to help others in the future. That's still my favourite part of being a research nurse is actually spending time with participants. Claire? Yeah, so my research career began when I was a student mental health nurse. So I got to know the research team here in the Trust while I was on placement in the memory team. And I chose to spend a few days with the team for my elective placement. And again, I was lucky to be able to go out with the team, the research nurses, observe some research visits, meet participants and, and get to hear their stories and why they wanted to take part in research. Um, and I also had a, a great opportunity to go to London and visit the Brain Bank. Um, and that's part of a study that's been going for years where people donate their brains to research. So it gave me a good sort of different sides to how research works. And I just love the exploratory nature of trying to find out and discover what sort of helps people to improve their mental well-being and their quality of life and their health overall really and to see where we can learn and improve aspects of care. Brilliant so what does your role involve what sorts of things do you both do on a daily weekly basis? Our role is really varied. The biggest part of our role is research delivery, which includes visiting participants, collecting information. Um, we talk at non-NHS groups. We um, attend clinical teams meetings where we talk about the studies that are ongoing in this, and any new studies. We also uh, meet with study teams. We support colleagues and students who come and spend time with us. Uh, we also do a lot of networking within the trust and as I say outside of the trust we deliver training um, so we, del uh, we deliver training facilitate training um, both within the trust and I also facilitate training with the NIHR um, and we also within our role um, continue with our professional development. Excellent so you said about delivery being the biggest part of your role so what does that actually mean? So the first essential part of what we do is um, when we when we talk about delivery is having informal discussions with potential participants. So there are people who may use the service or, or may not just to see really what their interests are in research, what sort of research they might like to hear about, for example, and to see whether they are interested in a particular study that we might have for them. 
So that's the very first part of what we do. Okay, so research delivery encompasses all of these informal conversations with people that we have and, and the assessments and the observations that are required for that particular study. So Claire, so you say study, like what, could you actually explain what is a research study? Yeah, sure. So there are types of studies. So there's a, there's a wide range, really. So that can be anything from a survey that people could do on over the computer, for example, that might take sort of 10, 20 minutes. And they can be anything that's more involved. So things like drug trials, where we're looking at um, new medications, for example, or existing medications that are already used, but for another reason, that we use them for another reason. Um, there might be genetic studies, so we're looking to see how there might be any genetic links with particular illness or disease. There might be studies that we do with staff, for example, only, or just carers of people supporting somebody with a mental health condition or a dementia, for example. Some studies might be where we go into care homes or to other sectors outside the NHS. And some of them, when we talk about studies, some are looking at comparing, for example, when I, when I talked about a drug trial, it might be comparing that drug against a placebo, or it might be that we're looking at a therapy. So there, there's we might be looking at one therapy versus somebody's what they call treatment as usual, so their normal care, to see whether that therapy helps. And they all look at different things. So I've mentioned drug trials and therapies, but some studies also include things like cost effectiveness. Some will be looking at evaluating existing practice. Some will not just be looking at statistical um, elements. So, for instance, the cost and using scales to see whether a particular treatment helps. But some might also include um, qualitative research, which is where you're looking at understanding the deeper meaning and the experience for somebody on a, on a deeper level. So that might be through an interview, for example. And, and studies are, you know, funded, so we mentioned the NIHR, so that's the National Institute for Health Research, and that's the research arm of the NHS. So they do fund a lot of studies. Um, everything's ethically approved. Um, some studies might be funded with through charitable organisations, for example, or private companies, and some can be self-funded or student-led. So there's a wide range of what we do. You previously mentioned, I think it was Zoe mentioned, about collecting information. Um, what types of information would that be? It's really important to say that before we collect any information for um, a research study, we will go through a process called valid informed consent which Claire mentioned very briefly earlier, where we go through with a participant the study and we assess their, their mental capacity that they can understand, retain, weigh up and communicate their willingness to actually take part in the study. And then we go through this process where they would then go through, they would then sign a consent form and then we, we would then receive the, the consent from them. And some of the information that, that we collect will be information through a questionnaire. Um, so that might be looking at someone's quality of life. We might be looking at rating scales for a person's mood. We might be looking at the care and participa uh, participants' views 
as well. But it does really depend on the study purpose and what they're looking to explore and find out. We will also do um, physical measures. So some studies will be looking at blood results. So we may be taking blood. Uh, we might also be doing measures such as ECGs. We might be doing blood pressure. So any, anything else to add, Claire? No, as you said, it's a variety of what depends on what the study wants, really, and what the study's looking at, doesn't it? Because um, some drug studies would require a blood sample, others might not, for example. Yeah, so all of what Zoe's just talked about is using our nursing skills. So some studies allow us to attend extra training, for example, so where we can build on these clinical skills and learn new ones so that we can run studies to the highest standards that, that re research requires us to. Um, it's also really important to be able to complete outcome measures in studies accurately and without bias. And that's why we have a lot of training and some studies have a role for people who are blinded. So you might see that term written down in, in particular trials. So that might mean that the researcher collecting the outcome measures throughout the study doesn't know which arm of the study the participant is in. So that's what blinded means. And that's to try and prevent that unconscious bias that can that can potentially occur in research. And, and what else is really key is building relationships with participants and their families and the people around them, their friends, family who are supporting them. Because um, some studies we may see people for several years, for example, or we may see them a few times a year. And it, you know, it really helps to get to know the person and it, which also helps us to know and, and see whether there's been a change as well. So if there's a concern arising and we really know that person well, you know, we can we can discuss with them and see how best we can support them. And, and again, with all of the clinical skills we use, the communication skills, the physical skills, the clinical skills, the assessment skills, the management skills that we have, all of that allows us to pass those on to colleagues and students. OK, so you mentioned skills quite a few times. So how do you actually pass on these skills? So we provide training sessions that um, facilitate learning and develop um, some research skills, but also skills that can, can be passed through to, to working within a clinical environment. So this includes valid informed consent. We also offer clinical research in practice, and we also offer qualitative and quantitative methods for people who are interested in reading papers and doing their own, their own research. We also provide principal investigator training. Um, a principal investigator is can be a medic, can be a nurse, can be an OT, depending on the study who is responsible for a study at site. And so we offer training for them. And we also um, can offer sessions for um, clinical teams. Claire and I, um, we run clinical research in practice and we've actually been out to see whole teams. Um, so instead of them coming individually to our sessions, we offer it out as a whole. And through this, um, we developed a virtual escape room to d demonstrate recruitment to a study. So we were trying to be a bit more active as we were doing all our training via MS Teams. Uh, last year, we also hosted a virtual coffee morning. So that was just explaining about the research studies we do, how to refer. We, um, we also included the virtual escape room. We do hope to host another coffee morning in the spring. And we also, um, if, if staff are interested, we also take staff out with us so that they can shadow what we do. 
and we also we 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 host students as well and they come out with us okay so one of the things all these different things obviously within your role one of the things we often hear in is that research involves a lot of paperwork so a lot of admin can you tell us more about this part of your role yeah, so our role, like any clinical nursing role, involves administration. There's not really an escape from that side of things. But so in addition to that, with where we lead on studies, we have to maintain what we call a study site file. Um, and that includes managing all the documents required for the study. That includes the protocol, the information sheets, the guidelines, uh, policies, all of the communications that occur for that study, things like meeting minutes that we have, and then anything relating to the participant's journey within the study. So the outcome measures that are collected, the consent forms that, that are completed. And But just to clarify that any identifiable data, we manage and store that securely within the GDPR. And, and everything that we do requires a lot of coordination and project management because we are trying to coordinate with different sites across the country, for example, different universities, different clinical trials units different people that we may not have met in person as well so a lot of what we can do is is by email or by video teams calls for example and it's to coordinate that study so that it's run as per the protocol and part of also what we do is when we lead studies we might ma we manage those here at the site that we run them in but we also include the setup of the study so there's there's different things including we've mentioned before about training that we have to attend um, to make sure everybody knows how the study's being run, everyone's confident and competent to run that study. And what we also do is ensure through that studying in terms of the paperwork, things like the approvals um, are all in place and that the targets for that study are being met as best we can. So each study will have a recruitment target. So, for instance, you may be asked to recruit 10 people within a certain time frame. So you, you do your best within your research lead role to try and um, achieve that. But with balanced people's participation in research being completely voluntary, so that you know all research we do is non-coercive, people it's completely up to people whether they want to take part or not. So, and it's always always got to be the right thing for them. Well, I was going to talk a little bit about study promotion, if that's if that's okay. Yeah. So um we work with clinical teams um, to support identification of potential participants um, and we keep we do this by keeping teams up to date with studies. Um, so we talk to them about what is required for inclusion. We ask teams to have discussions with services to refer to the research team. Um, we do provide opportunities for people to participate in research because um, research is is for everybody and our participants are at the heart heart of research we we go out to non-nhs organizations and groups we talk with people um, who have been referred to us and we also provide content for social media so we put things on twitter and facebook etc and when we are training so just going back to the training when we are training we do promote research and how to become involved, how to talk to people about research. So again, that's developing people's skills in talking about research. Excellent. So you say there about promoting research. Um, why do you think research is important? 
So essentially research is important because we're trying to find out about the causes, the treatments and improving care for people to live well. Um, so it comes from inquiry, curiosity, testing, affirmation and seeking new knowledge. And research, research explores and informs receiving the best and safest care. And it gives rise to new treatments and hope to individuals. And through research, benefits um, such as the sort of following have been reported, including um, increased confidence, and that's for participants and their families, for clinicians and researchers. Um, it, it increases the evidence base and future care. It evaluates current care. It informs policy and guidance and justifies healthcare costs. And for the participants, the people taking part have been known to sort of increase their empowerment and, and hope and gives people a sense of purpose. It also can allow for more understanding of their conditional symptoms. And I, I sort of remember this from a study we did before and, and through other studies that when we saw some people in, in, the, in a drug trial that we done, gives people a sense of purpose, allows for more understanding of their conditional symptoms. So that was quite clear for me when we worked on a study before and um, we were looking to see if a medication worked to help somebody with their symptoms. And we could really see the difference it was making to the person and the people around them and to reduce their symptoms. And the families and the carers would also say to us how they'd understood the person's symptoms more through the varied outcome measures that we used. Um, the different scales that we use that may not be used uh, regularly on a clinical basis, but they're used in research. And it just helps to sort of unpick some of the um, reasons why things might be occurring a little bit more. And also, I've taken part in research as a participant, both in mental health research and for a physical health study. And I do so in the knowledge that my information and responses, any blood samples, any questions I've answered, for example, they're all being used to understand and improve the prevention or a potential cure and treatments in the future for everyone. So, so how, um, how do you think working in research has enhanced your career and skills development as a nurse? So, um... So working in research can give you quite a lot of different opportunities. Um, for, for me, I became the training lead working in, in the department. I also work within the NIHR uh, facilitating their training, which is all of it's now been moved on to, to virtual, virtual forms through MS Teams or Zoom. We've also been able to work on departmental projects. So we, we, we actually work on our own department projects. We did that as a whole team. Um, and it also um, helps us with our management and leadership skills. I mean, it helps us in, in lots of ways as well. We can develop our clinical skills. We can transfer our clin clinical skills, um, communication skills as well, because uh, Claire and I work across all different types of studies so we we could be working on a study that for um, dementia but we also might be working on a study for an adult mental health condition we might be working on a youth study um, so it, it it really um, enhances our, our communication skills so picking up from what Zoe said I yeah I would um 
say that you know it's really enhanced my skills working across different sectors of mental health because when I first came into research I worked in dementia and older person services um, and delivered research studies for people with older um, people with dementia and memory problems and carers um, and since then the role has evolved really so I'm working also in studies for people with adult mental health conditions like psychosis and bipolar for ADHD for example and that really does increase your skills, your communication skills, your skills in collecting the outcome measures for those studies and understanding the conditions as well. So I think as a whole, really, research nursing has increased my skills in both delivering the research in terms of learning the rate and scales, the outcome measures in terms of project management um, and also with development of studies. So that's something I'm now moving towards trying to think further. And as Zoe said earlier, like facilitating training sessions um, in terms of the research in practice that we run, it's like a research for beginners course and the valid informed consent, qualitative research methods. And in the, in the, in the years that I've been working in research, I've also completed my master's in clinical research. And that well included- done. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that, so that included um, modules about ethics, uh, qualitative and quantitative research methods, protocol development. And then at the end was a dissertation, um, which was a systematic review, which is where you look at all the literature and in the evidence base has been published already on a particular subject. And you do that very systematically. So you pull, pull, look at your your subject topic and you find all of the articles related to that and you pull them together and you look at that, you analyse that data. So that was really interesting to do that, actually, as a whole process and to see that for my particular topic, there wasn't a lot of information out there already. So that was um, really quite interesting. So. I think research has also given me confidence in suggesting and taking the research ideas further. So from that systematic review, um, being able to take that to two international conferences as a poster and by you know networking with people at those conferences um, and the poster one second prize in the online poster category at one of the international conferences. And Again, for leadership skills, we, we line manage um, colleagues as well now. And as we mentioned before, there's department improvement initiatives we get involved in. And we've also put ourselves forward for award nominations. So to really highlight that our department really does support people in their development in, in their careers. So we actually got shortlisted for a Nursing Times Workforce Award. We didn't win, unfortunately, but we we got shortlisted for the best learning and development category, which was a real, real achievement. And we've also we won the NIHR East of England Putting Patients First category award. I think believe that was 2022. So we we do try, you know, try and celebrate what we do as well, which I think is really important. OK, so moving on to our myth busting section, can you both tell me some of the things that you've heard people say about working as a research nurse or research in general? So some of the myths that we may well have heard is that some people have said that they didn't know nurses could work in research or didn't know it was a career option. 
So that's quite interesting because we've maybe uh, maybe we've been quite hidden over the years. Maybe people haven't realised that, that that research nursing is a is a career. Um, we've also had myths of we just do paperwork, and as we talked about earlier, there is paperwork to what we do, and and there is quite a bit of paperwork to what we do, but it isn't the be all and end all. We we still do that part where we go and see people clinically, and similarly. Um, we have heard people say, are we just sitting in an office all day? And again, linking back to the admin and the paperwork side, we do have that like site file management side of the role to do and lots of networking and, and meetings to do. But we don't sit in an office all day. We still see people in their homes, in clinics, talk to people over the telephone, talk to people over Zoom, go, go to training. Or that we just do statistics because people think... You have to be clever or you work with numbers and that we're maybe the people that analyse all the data that comes through. And generally speaking, we don't. Generally speaking, that's the um, statisticians, for example, who might be a part of the particular study protocol, say for if, if it's a drug study. But we could do some of the analysis if it's a study that's sort of homegrown mm. here in the trust. We might be involved in that. And then going on some of those aspects, we've heard that people say, oh, I'm not academic, I'm not clever enough. But you don't have to be academic and I mean, define clever anyway. But it's not about that. It's about using your nursing skills. And if you want to um, sort of lean towards the more academic side, then you can look at that as within your career and your role. But our day job mostly is you know, like we said, seeing people, talking to them about research and actually conducting the research visits with people using all those nursing skills. Have you heard any? Yeah, a lot of people think that because we, we work in the NHS that we can access people's notes and just contact people. Um, and as I said earlier, before we contact people about research, before we collect any data, before we look at anybody's medical notes, we need people to give give us their um, consent. Now, this can be verbal over the telephone, or it might even be in the form of um, a, con a consent form through a study. Sometimes uh, people view um, research as being too much. There might be too many questions. People might be too unwell, or they wouldn't be able to understand the questions. And that's where that informed consent comes through where we will go out and give people a lot of information and a lot of time to think about it um, and if it's not suitable then they are under no obligation because um, one of the key points of research is that it's voluntary and people can withdraw anytime yes, can't they can. yeah. and also the I think the important thing is like people need to be given that opportunity to actually yeah. be offered the chance to take part in research so mm. Um, and there, you know, we can have those discussions with people because it could be a, a very quick study, couldn't yeah. it? It could be something you do quite quickly or it might be something they actually really enjoy. Um, and we just need to explore that with people, really. It might, as Claire said, it might be one visit with a research nurse or it might be a study that lasts many years and they you see somebody once a year. So, yeah, and we take all this into consideration when we're when we're talking to people and their time and their time commitment as well. I suppose some of the other things I've heard is that some people might say that you don't research the important things. And we haven't heard that much, have we, I have to say. But we do we do, do things in the trust and 
um, wider where they prioritise topics or research. So that could be um, there are national um, charitable places that actually um, become involved in that. But we also have been involved in an older person's memory services project where we had carers, people living with memory difficulties and staff all coming together to um, talk about what was the most important um, aspects of questions that sort of remained unanswered. Um, so that was really useful. So it comes, it's homegrown, it comes from the people that use the service and people who would benefit from it and those people that know where the gaps are. Some people have also said about where the money comes from to do research. I think you had um, had that once didn't you, about somebody saying, was it taking money away from the yeah. NHS? Yeah. Which it isn't because in the whole um, big umbrella of the NHS and research, we are part of what the NHS does and we are trying to improve things. And if we can find through doing some research that something there's another way of doing something more cost effectively, for example, then actually we're not taking the money away. We're re mm -hmm. reinvesting that in the future mm -hmm. of the NHS. And no, people absolutely. Might yeah, and people might question as well, like the private, when we mentioned earlier about private companies being involved, because um, drug companies do obviously need to develop um, new medications and they, as we know with vaccines, they there is a there is an element of um, not just the money from the NHS being involved. So it's just explaining that to people really and making sure that they're happy with that. But so the money can come from different aspects in research, different funders in research. And sometimes um, people have said that they don't know how useful their information will be. Mm. Um, and that that's where, you know, our communication skills are with them to explain why they've been invited to take part in the research and how how valuable information can be. But also, you know, appreciating that it's their choice if they want to take part in research as well. And we'd always say, wouldn't we, that their information, even if they give us an answer that it, they might not then think is correct, or they might go, oh, I said that, but but it, sometimes it doesn't matter. It's the whole picture that's captured. OK, so quite a few myths um, there. And thank you both for clarifying those points. So Claire and Zoe are now going to share with you some of their own poetry. So tell me more about being a research nurse. Well, to start with, it's about putting the participant first. Their rights, safety and well-being are paramount. Their experiences, opinions and data we collect all count. To improve healthcare and treatment for all, for the important aspects of life that matter, large or small. How we do this involves working together, exploring ideas, asking, can we do this better? To be informed and guided by those with lived experience, including carers, staff, stakeholders and volunteers. Starting with a review of what we know already, not always reinventing the wheel. If it works, it's steady. But maybe we find we're missing a spoke or two or the tyre is flat, deflated or there is pressure undue. Then we need to explore different ways of looking for understanding, supporting, ensuring the wheel is well balanced and working. Then it's rolling on safely well for all who need it, but the spokes are all there, the pillars of support. 
And we understand that there are different types and numbers of wheels, depending on circumstances, needs and how someone feels. Some wheels of research explore genetics, other wheels test medicines or therapies. Some wheels seek to find deeper meanings. This is qualitative research, insights gleaning. To understand, develop or test theories through different methods of data collection, which may be interviews, focus groups or observation, or quantitatively using rating scales. There are many of these used for different aspects of wellness and illness or diagnoses. These mean that researchers can measure through statistical analyses whether the results accept or reject the hypotheses. There are also many wheels to research, a wide variety of people involved, ideas, methods and analysis. Wheels to keep in motion, keep exploring and why mental health research nursing is so rewarding. Well, thank you, Claire, and over to you, Zoe. Thank you, Donna. We were asked to record a podcast promoting what we do, a day in the life of a research nurse. Let me share a little with you. Our role is filled with variety and opportunity too. Let's start at the beginning and I'll try and take you through. There are many different studies that we can deliver in a day. From medication to therapy, we may travel a long way. Not forgetting online studies because of you-know-who, surveys, observations and genetic studies too. Information and informed consent ensure you understand the study that you're taking part in so visits can be planned. Research is always voluntary, we let you know before. Ensuring safety rights well-being, you always can withdraw. Collection of the data that provides help for me and you to understand and capture and add to things we knew. Training, meetings and conferences are things that we attend. Award ceremonies and projects are things that we commend. Studying at master's level and supporting others too. A day in the life of a research nurse. Come and see what we can do. Thank you, Zoe, for sharing that. And thank you both for your time today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. One last thing before you go, if you are interested in getting involved in research or would like to hear about research opportunities, then please visit us at our website www.nsft.nhs.uk forward slash research or you can find us on Twitter at NSFT Research or Facebook. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to make sure you don't miss a future episode. Let us know what you thought of this episode by reaching out on social media. If you haven't already, listen back to previous episodes to hear some of the best mental health advice for you.